And then on like the third lesson, he was like, okay, so here's the Scruggs book. Like, we got to get your right hand sorted out. Yeah, I was like, wait, I got a progressive banjo teacher, so I wouldn't have to do this. <laughs> um, and I wish I had listened to him then. Hey, what's up, everybody? Greetings and welcome into another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. As always, I am your host, Keith Billick, coming to you from the Great White North. I'm up here in Michigan and uh, taking a break from scraping off my car and shoveling the sidewalk to, to come do a podcast. But you know what is the best way to keep warm during these winter months is to layer up with some official Picky Fingers logo merchandise. That is all available at banjopodcast.com. Those make uh, wonderful additions to your wardrobe, shows off your intelligence and musical sophistication, and they make great gifts. We do have more holidays coming up, such as uh, Valentine's Day, Groundhog's Day, and President's Day. That's what everybody wants as gifts for those special occasions. So, uh, banjopodcast.com, go see the full line of t-shirts, stickers, hoodies, hats, uh, music. Um, it's all there. And the best part about it is when you pick up some of that merchandise, you are helping to support the show and feed a hungry family of five up here in uh, suburban Detroit, Michigan. The other best way to support the show is to become a very important picker, a VIP supporter, and that is by going to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and signing up to throw a, a few dollars a month to help keep the lights on here at Picky Fingers HQ. And today's VIP supporter of the show is Paul Lays. Paul comes to us from Australia, so possibly not quite as cold where he is. Paul started playing banjo in the claw hammer style, but now is working his way through on the three finger method. And uh, I guess that makes him the perfect VIP for this episode, as we do have a, uh, a talented player of both styles coming up in the interview portion. So anyway, Paul, thank you so much again for your generous support of the show. And once again, that website is patreon.com slash banjo podcast. Another perk of being a VIP is you get invited to monthly VIP lounge sessions, which are video meetup calls with me and your fellow listeners to chat all things banjo. And this month's VIP lounge is going to be Tuesday, January 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So don't forget to sign up on Patreon before that date so you can join the rest of us in that call. And that happens every month. You can also contact the show by emailing pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Love hearing from all of you that way as well.
episode's featured guest is Sam Armstrong Zikafus, who currently holds down the banjo chair for the Jamgrass superstar band, the Lil Smokies. But that is not all that Sam can do. They are very adept at both the claw hammer and three finger styles. Sam is a talented singer, songwriter, and also has experience in a lot of varied genres, including a lot of world music, which I was really fascinated to hear about during our discussion here. So without further ado, give a warm picky fingers welcome to Sam Armstrong Zikafus. My name is Sam Armstrong Zikafus, and I'm from Denver, Colorado. I became a banjo player mostly so I could just start playing at family gatherings. All my uncles play bluegrass. Oh. And I mostly wanted to play instead of talk to people. <laughs> uh, uh, and that seemed like the easiest way to do that. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So what age was that? That was about 12. My dad got me started on like ukulele and guitar. Mm-hmm. He's also a musician and songwriter. Um but my uncles would play at like dinners or weddings um, for the family. My mom's one of 12 kids. So. Oh, dang. So yeah, there was a few of them. Yeah, we had a couple of rotating bass players, which was nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it was pretty standard bluegrassy stuff like any of us might encounter at a at a local jam kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Okay. And uh, what drew you? I mean, it seems like you could have chosen any number of instruments to participate. And like you said, you got started on uke. Um what made you finally decide on the on the banjo? Um, I was playing guitar for a couple of songs, and then I watched my uncle playing claw hammer, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What is that? Like, I, that doesn't look like that should be making any noise, <laughs> um, especially cool noise." Right. And so he started showing me some stuff, and then after that, he showed me the Bale Fleck documentary, "Throw Down Your Heart." Oh I wow! Like, Whoa, you can do that also, <laughs> and so then I got hooked on three finger. Some people can do that. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe not all of us. <laughs> yeah, that took me a little while to figure out. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, though. I imagine if this was a family, uh, a thing that your family did that they were fairly supportive about maybe making sure you had a banjo and, and had some instruction or, or whatever you needed. Is that is that the case? Yeah, so I mostly learned from my uncle, and he, we kind of put together the first banjo that Mm. I used. He got like a neck blank. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was very lucky. And then that one, we used something wrong with the wood. So the neck action, like I think (laughs) the rim just wasn't great. So it just kept shifting. Yeah. Um, And so he let me borrow a great claw hammer banjo that I still use today and a great three finger banjo that has kind of become my main at home banjo recently. Yeah, I guess I'll go at this might be as good a time as any to just stake out the caveat that me being a three finger player, I, I will probably gravitate more toward three finger types of questions for you, but I know that you're an extremely skilled claw hammerist as well. So at, at any given time, feel fr- <laughs> feel free to just like shift gears and and talk about that if you if you feel like I'm neglecting that that part of what you do. Okay. Um, but I think we're already getting a taste of it that you've seen your family play bluegrass and your, yeah. your uncle was playing claw hammer and they both kind of fascinated you. Yeah. So who were some of your 
early influences. Obviously, Bela, if you saw that yeah. documentary, was it was it that type of like progressive playing that caught your ear? Yeah, that was definitely the first kind of side of banjo that I got really into after Throw Down Your Heart. I got really into the album Uncommon Ritual with Edgar Mayer, Mike Marshall, and Bela. Yeah, one of my favorites. Yeah, that is such a great album. I kind of tried to stay on the progressive side of things for a long time and didn't dig into the traditional stuff until a lot later. And I kind of wish I had sooner. (laughs) What do you think that would have done for you if you had done it the other way around? I think my rhythm would have been a lot more solid Mm. a lot earlier on. That was something I struggled with. Um, Basically as a right hand issue? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think the... I had been playing for probably like seven or eight years. Then I moved to Denver, Colorado and heard George Guthrie because I went to school in New Mexico and there wasn't a whole lot of bluegrass down there. There's some great people down there, but I just didn't end up seeing a lot of shows. And so I saw George and I was like, wow, he's like really driving the train in this groove. I was like, maybe I should actually dig back into (laughs) some of that stuff. (laughs) So so you had already been playing for, what, you said seven or eight years before you even decided to focus on the more traditional? Yeah. Oh, I, interesting. My kind of banjo bringing up was pretty uncommon. Like, I played with my family a little bit, but none of that was, like, super drivey. Or they did some great traditional stuff, but usually my uncle would play on that. But the first, like, performance experiences I had were mostly with like a swing band in college. Oh. And then the Balkan and Middle Eastern Ensemble in college as well. All on banjo. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Is that still stuff? I mean, I'm I'm curious to hear some Balkan music. Do you remember how to play anything of that? I do a little bit, yeah. Oh man, do you do you want to give us a, a sample? Yeah. I love Balkan Let's music. See. Yeah, me too. I can play one of the first there's two songs I learned right away. One was a Turkish song mm-hmm. that I really like. Um, and then the other is a Balkan. It's usually a Bulgarian women's choir song, but I worked out a banjo arrangement. Wow. Um, which one would you want to hear? Oh, I don't know. Uh, dealer's choice. Okay, I'll do the Bulgarian one. I got to play this one in Bulgaria pretty recently. Oh, I want to hear about that too, but yeah. give, give us a sample first. Cool. So this is called Shtomi Emilo, and it's in 7, 8, 
it's kind of counted as like one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two. That's a folk tune, so is that something that if you, as you did, play it in Bulgaria, like everyone knows that one? Is yeah. It, is it that kind of tune? Oh, like, oh, Susanna or something like that? Yeah. I, th- I yeah. don't, yeah. There's definitely a big folk movement here. It was interesting in some other countries realizing that there's not quite a strong connection. A strong connection to like their own, they just don't have a, that folk music history you mean or yeah or like as much of a folk revival not to say that there's like not a really strong connection to folk music like there's a lot of people that knew the tune and were super excited Mm. and were singing along but like there's not as much of like a scene of young people like performing folk music if that makes sense Mm. it was more like i don't know how to describe it I don't want to get something wrong about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Okay. I, I think I follow. Yeah. That's all. Do you ever follow like what the hen house prowlers do when, yeah. when they travel overseas? Yeah. They always have to, they, they try to learn something from the area to which they're traveling. Uh, but it's almost always like a current pop song because there's so many disparate backgrounds of different people. You never know who comes from where exactly. Yeah. And, and, it's easiest just to do a pop song instead of trying to find a folk song like that. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. And what else was the, so that was the the reaction when you played it was like people, some sang along, you said? Yeah. That's a lot cool. of people recognized it. I think a lot of, a lot of it is that like our folk music, especially bluegrass has become like very much a performance style and like a performance market. But like, I think a lot of people in other countries, their folk music is more like, yeah, it's just folk music. It's like stuff we know and we play around at home. Yeah, it's like your uncle's at the the family yeah. gathering. Yeah, totally. So you said that your um, way of learning was a little unconventional in the way that you maybe reversed what would be like a normal quote unquote order. Yeah. Do you think you developed any unusual like playing habits because of that, that maybe maybe even work to your advantage in, in terms of giving you like something different to your style to offer? Yeah, I think so. I think, especially because I didn't learn a lot of the Scruggsy stuff right away. Mm-hmm. My rhythm was a little different. And I think that was helpful, like having some different roles that were less common or just approaching them a little bit differently. Okay. Um, well, I'm not going to let you get away with saying something like that without uh, <laughs> showing us your different your different <laughs> roles. I don't know. I don't. I can't think of anything right off the bat that was like peculiar. 
Or I guess I was pretty single string heavy in the beginning, especially playing some of the Turkish songs and some of the swing stuff. Interesting. So okay. I did a lot of single string at first. And then I knew that I should be rolling as a mm-hmm. banjo player. <laughs> and so I did a lot of like sneaking in open strings with the single string stuff. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Was that like a helpful strategy to play those, like the swing music that you're yeah. working on? Or? Okay. Totally. Yeah. And what were your other opportunities? Like how did you end up getting to play with people or start performing in bands and, and that kind of thing? What were your yeah. first opportunities with that? Um, so my first opportunities, the swing band was pretty busy and the the Balkan Ensemble and the Americana Ensemble I was in in college. Had and like, this, so this was in New Mexico or this was in Denver? This was in New Mexico Okay, at the Santa Fe University of Art and Design. Okay. Yeah. Um, we had like ensemble performances once a semester. Mm-hmm. And then my first like going out and gigging experience was with like an alt country band down in Santa Fe called okay. Anthony Leon and the Chain. Man, you've been in like every kind of band other than a bluegrass band, which yeah. is <laughs> odd for a banjo player, I, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. And was there a particular time that you started to notice maybe your own style developing that was maybe unique from either traditional people or even other progressive players that you had heard? I imagine with all these different influences, like that's a recipe for some weird stuff to (laughs) come out. Yeah. I think when I realized that my style was different was probably I went to acoustic music seminar one year. Um, And I was sort of like there as a claw hammer player, but ended Uh up playing some wacky three finger stuff on some people's tunes. Okay. And I think that was the first time where I was like, oh, my three finger style is pretty wonky. If someone didn't know what you meant by that, uh, how would you describe how, how yours is wonky compared to, to other players? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I've been trying to put my finger on this for a while, but I'm not sure how I would describe it. So, I mean, I have the advantage. I, I just had the the pleasure of seeing you perform last night, and I know that one performance does not someone's <laughs> style make. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely noticed some things that I'm I'm happy to ask you about. Yeah. Um, I'm actually really for one thing, I'm really surprised to hear you say that you played a lot of single string because oh yeah, I don't know that I heard you play. Any at all. Don't think I did last night, probably. (laughs) Maybe a little bit. And similarly, I didn't hear you rely on a lot of like scalar Mm. things. It was a lot of um, maybe movable shapes and playing interesting polyrhythmic syncopated things within those shapes and and moving the shapes all over the place. But yeah. sometimes even four or even like five note clusters yeah, and really working like within those to find little melody things that, that might pop out. I don't know. That's, that's yeah something I noticed. I'd, I'd be happy to like hear about how you approach that or, or what some of that was, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, your, your eyes try to analyze it as I'm seeing it, but totally. Uh, Yeah, I've definitely drifted away from the single string, but one of the first things I learned, I, Jamie Stone was one of my first banjo teachers. Oh, love Um, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, he's incredible. He, um, 
kind of backtracking to my unusual banjo upbringing, mm-hmm. I like asked him about some Balkan stuff okay, on our perfect. first lessons, and he was great, and he showed me some really incredible stuff. And then on like the third lesson, he was like, "Okay, so here's the Scruggs book. Like, you got to get your <laughs> right hand sorted out." And Back like, on track, Sam. Yeah, I was like, "Wait, I got a progressive banjo teacher, so I wouldn't have to do this." <laughs> <laughs> um, and I wish I had listened to him then. Um, oh, but you didn't. I did not. Okay. It still took me even longer to figure it out that that's what I needed to do. But yeah, the first I sh- he showed me this like just harmonized scale thing in six, the six that we all lean on, um, or many of us lean on, mm-hmm. and that was like one of the first improvising tools I had, and I still feel like it's one of the ones I lean on the most. Yeah, I definitely noticed that. And then even, like I was saying, you even do denser cluster, not dense maybe, but like, um, yeah, like four and five note clusters. Yeah. yeah, and that's all kind of based off of these six. I kind of use them to like figure out where I'm going. And then once I get somewhere that I think sounds nice, I'll reach around <laughs> and do a fifth string and just see whatever I can reach. And there's just a lot of material you can get just by like messing around and seeing what you can reach from a position. So that's all it, based and I, on the harmony. I guess scale. I should. I guess I should also uh, uh, mention that what what Sam is doing is reaching his thumb around the fifth string. Is is kind of what you mean by yeah. seeing what you can reach? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever frets I can reach with my thumb or other fingers. Yeah, I think using those sixths and just taking each string and being like, what can I reach and what kind of sound does that make was like kind of how I first got into improvising. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any way of describing your sense of rhythm? Because you definitely do. I wish I had a better way of explaining it other than just saying it's a, a polyrhythm, but like sort of using the natural like three-finger patterns to sort of offset accents in cool places that gives it like the really funky syncopation. Yeah. Um, do you have a way of like describing how you approach that? Um, I've heard some people who are more into or have a a better understanding, (laughs) call it like modulating rhythm. Mm. Or like, so like one of the shapes I use a lot is just a four note roll that has a fretted fifth string thing. It's a G, an A, a D, and on the fifth string I have a, um, what would that be? That would be a B. Mm -hmm. And... So I'll kind of take that roll and repeat that for a little while. And then I'll just pick a part of that phrase that I want to repeat. And so it's super easy to do the first part because that's just middle thumb, middle thumb. Yeah. It's pretty natural. And then you can keep adding to that or... You can start repeating another part. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so you kind of are only using these same four notes, but you're changing the accent and it adds a lot of movement while you're all staying in the same shape, which I like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it well, feels, yeah, uh, go ahead. It feels banjo-y without sounding like just straight up Scrug style or like I've been spending a lot of time kind of drifting away from single string, like trying to find stuff that is really banjo-y, but also is still unique and like improvisatory, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, like what would that be? Well, what are you, what are you coming up with or what are you <laughs> discovering that, that fits that description? Um, I think just like keeping the role going or doing more the, just like the classic forward roll bass stuff. Yeah. That's grouped in three. So you can get really syncopated while doing something that feels really natural to right. the banjo. And that, that might have been what your young ears heard when you said like it, it doesn't look like that sound should be coming out of the banjo because <laughs> at least with your previous example of like hooking your thumb, you're getting crazy four and five note yeah. patterns without moving your left hand really at all. Yeah. It's all just like right hand magic. Totally. It um, can be very deceptive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's backwards like that. Sometimes it sounds complicated and it looks like you're doing nothing. And then other times it looks like you're going all over the place for <laughs> Just like a really simple melody that a fiddle or a mandolin player could play. Yeah. Or something like that. Banjos are so weird. They are. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to talk to you because because another aspect of the show last night is that it it does not highlight uh, a bunch of stuff that you're good at, namely like composing mm -hmm. and songwriting and stuff like that. I know that's like a big part of what you've of what you've done. Um, yeah. So I'd love to talk to you about that. About like, do you have a a process for composing instrumental pieces um, mm. and or songs? Yeah, I don't know if I have necessarily a process. I think the main thing I'm drawn to, like practice wise, as a side person, and when composing is just improvising. So mm. like, usually when I sit down to practice or write, all just improvise pretty freely for like 10 to 20 minutes and then usually something will kind of catch my ear and whether that's like oh I'll, I have this idea that I want to play but I can't quite execute it mm. or like oh that's really an interesting sound I, I wonder how else I can change that and play with that okay and that's how a lot of my instrumental writing happens is just improvising until I find something that my ears like. like open freeform improvising just sit down with your banjo and start playing and yeah just 
noodle away. Yeah. Without any sort of framework or chord progression or yeah rhythm specific or anything like that. Totally. Someone once referred to it as like kind of just chasing your ears. Like what your ears are like, oh, that caught my attention. Like, what is in there that I like? Yeah. And then be like, yeah. And that's when you know how to, or when to maybe stop and focus on that for a bit. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's cool. Because I think there's, it's a fine line with just freely improvising mm-hmm. between like <laughs> creating and noodling. I think you can fall off the edge (laughs) pretty quickly. (laughs) And would you describe the difference as like maybe improvising is chasing your ear, as you said, and noodling is just chasing your fingers or something like that? Yeah, yeah. noodling I feel like is just like, what feels good in my hands? What am I compulsory, compulsory, hmm, what am I drawn to do out of compulsion? (laughs) Yeah, 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 I get you. Well, I mean, if that's the way you begin composing, I would love to talk more about improvising, especially because I guess this leads us into a lot of your recent projects. Like you're playing yeah. with Lil Smokies right now. You put in some time with um, Railroad Earth. Yeah. Which are both like highly improvisational bands. Totally. Uh, so you need to be <laughs> ready to explore some musical territory with both of those. So yeah. I would love to hear, I don't know, how you put yourself in that situation and what's, you know, what's going through your mind when you when you need to take a banjo solo or yeah. maybe f- be freely responding to other band members who are doing their thing. People I've heard, and this is one of my favorite descriptions, call improvising fast motion composing, uh-huh. and composing is slow motion improvising. Yeah, exactly. So I'm very much doing the same thing when I improvise, is I'm kind of just following my ear, hmm. and it'll kind of start out a little noodly, just be like, okay, I know I'm in this key, these chords, so I'm just going to kind of roll yeah. or pick out some chord tones that I know are going to work. And then I kind of just like, oh, that was fun. Like, I liked how those four notes sound together, or I liked this melody. I'm going to repeat that and see where that takes me. And just kind of following it step by step. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, sometimes I like the jams where I can be pretty free and not worry too much about chord tones. So I can really just lean in and just follow like, okay, I like this role. I like where this is going. Let's see how I can how I can tweak it and modulate it 
Right. Or like, I like this melody. Let's see if I can play that melody somewhere else. Like, um, a good exercise for that is just taking any fiddle tune you like Mm -hmm. and just like picking out one phrase or like even four notes. And you're like, I like this part. That sounds nice. I mean, like, where else can I play that? Or how can I tweak that? Oh, okay. Um, let me think if I can. Oh, yeah. Think yeah, of that'd a be good great. example. Uh, uh, yeah. So, like, um, in Garf- Garfield's Blackberry Blossom, yeah. I really like this sound particularly. Like, that's kind of what I'm drawn to about that tune is that open B next to a C sharp. Uh huh. Um, and so without even trying to think about the chord tones or where it's going, I'll just kind of improvise, like take that same roll and pick different fret, frets. Um, or I'm like, okay, that's, that gives me some options. Or you can see other strings that could work or other notes. Um, and just kind <laughs> yeah. of just see what else you can do that is similar or adds to the phrase that you like. Sorry for the interruption, folks. We'll be right back with the rest of the episode in just a few moments. But I had to take this opportunity to tell you about some of the sponsors of Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. The first one up is Elderly Instruments. I always tell people how Elderly is the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage stringed instruments of all kind. They're the first place I go for all my banjo needs. And also, by the way, any guitar, violin, ukulele, mandolin needs you have, they're going to have all of that. But you don't need to take my word for it anymore, folks. Elderly Instruments was just named the best small business in the country by the United States Chamber of Commerce. So first of all, congratulations to Stan Werben, Lillian Werben, and all the rest of the Elderly family for that remarkable award. And second of all, I encourage you all to go see what the fuss is about. Either get into the showroom in Lansing, Michigan, or visit them online at elderly.com. They have the entire inventory up there. They ship worldwide, and they have that great customer service that wins folks awards. Uh, And they're just a phone call away if you ever need any advice on any of those products. So once again, elderly.com or call them at 517-372-7880. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is also sponsored by our good friends over at Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation is the nation's number one site for streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele where you can learn bluegrass, old time, and many other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots music. Here is some of the selections, and this is just the banjo stuff. You can take beginning banjo with Bill Evans, bluegrass banjo with Bill Evans, claw hammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, or contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wes Corbett. Now, no matter what course you select, 
It's going to come with high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tablature, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And perhaps best of all, Picky Fingers listeners get a month free by entering coupon code PICKYFINGERS, all one word, all lowercase, at checkout. So once more, go to pegheadnation.com and enter Picky Fingers at checkout to get your first month free. The Picky Fingers podcast is also brought to you by Sullivan Banjos. Now, I'm very familiar with Sullivan Banjos. I've been playing one for nearly 20 years. I get tons of compliments on that banjo's sound, and that's really no surprise because the Sullivan name has been synonymous with incredible banjo workmanship and tone for decades. So whether you are looking for a pre-war style traditional design on through the craziest custom design you can think of, Eric Sullivan is here for you to make your dreams a reality. So get in touch with him over at sullivanbanjo.com, email him at sullivanbanjo at gmail.com, or sometimes the best way is just the old-fashioned way. Give him a call at 502-365-5022. And don't forget to tell him that Keith at the Picky Fingers podcast sent you. You mentioned if you're in a jam that you don't have to be focused on chord tones. Does that yeah. mean like a single chord vamp kind of jam? Is that is that the type that would be yeah, of that? Yeah, single chord okay. jam or like something pretty, um, like something that's like a one, six, four, one, or five. You can really play just about anything in G <laughs> over all of those. Right. And like, if you're chasing your ear and you're on D and you're playing something in C over it, I feel like we all have a natural tendency to want to resolve stuff. Sure. So I would just be like, oh, something's crunchy here. I'm going to move. Okay. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that's the key to some of those jam band things, right? Is building the tension and then yeah landing back on your feet hopefully totally and not being afraid to repeat stuff is something i have learned oh yeah yeah yep. i struggle especially when i first started playing with railroad earth was like the first really jamming out experience i had interesting and there were a lot of times where i would like play what i thought was like okay that was probably enough of a solo and I'd look over at whoever was going next, and they would just kind of shake their head and be like, keep going. You ain't done yet, Sam. Yeah. And I feel like that has just been something that kind of forces you to improvise, especially like some people are really good at writing out their solos or like kind of being like, okay, this tune, I can do these kind of things, and then I'll kind of wrap it up cleanly here. Uh-huh. And anytime I've tried to do that, I feel like I end up just either flubbing something along the way and getting in my head or getting lost, or I do it and I'm like, great, I'm done. And then I look over and they're like, no, keep going. It's like, oh, well, I guess I'm improvising one way. <laughs> so your, your best plan is to have no plan yeah. or, or, or very little plan. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty amazing that you didn't have much like improvisational or like longer form experience before Railroad Earth. That's kind of a... A big test for 
for someone to go through yeah, as their first test. Yeah. I did a lot of improvising with the bands I was in in Colorado, like the first bluegrass year bands I started playing with were mm-hmm. Mason Town and Meadow Mountain. Okay. Um, and there was a lot of improv there, but it was kind of more, it felt very structured, like within like, okay, you have the A part or like, we're just going to repeat the B part. And yeah. then you can look over when you want to be done <laughs> or like you can do whatever you want within the form of this tune, yeah, this fiddle tune. Um, so yeah, Railroad was definitely my first like, okay, the drums are going to be playing and then you just go and then we'll come in when we feel like it. it yeah. And then eventually you hand it off to the fiddle player. <laughs> it might be way after you're ready to be done, but <laughs> yeah, it'll happen eventually. <laughs> Do you have any other general tips of like how to improve at improvising? I mean, I know you you talked about it being slow motion composition, but um, I don't know. I feel like that's like just a really frequent mystery for people is, yeah. is how to how to generate those types of ideas. Totally, it's a good question. It's something I I struggle with a lot. And like sometimes I feel really on top of my improvising. Mm-hmm. Other times I feel like very stuck. Hmm. Um, a lot of it is a mental game, I think. Like trusting yourself, trusting your ears. Yeah. Um, and trusting your ability. Um, yeah. H- have you found any sort of correlations between the times that you, um, feel good about your improvising or, or not. And like maybe what, what your mindset is in those situations or if it's like you warmed up a lot that day or something like that. Yeah. I think confidence, like the times where I feel like I'm not very happy with my improvising, something has happened where I'm just kind of in my head about my own playing. Mm -hmm. Like, when, like there's a couple of people there that I'm playing for that like, oh, I really want to show them like that I can play <laughs> well or play the cool stuff or like, or even just like a day where like, oh, my sound's been off. Something's wrong with my gear. I didn't have any time to warm up. Just distractions basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And like I've been practicing standing like I'm really confident hmm. um, and just kind of tricking my brain into being confident. Like, trying to broaden my shoulders right. and look up. And that has been a small thing that has really helped. I feel like, wow, my confidence a lot is just like... The power pose. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like like we did... Um, the Little Smokies played Friday night at Rocky Grass, and we were the last band. Mm. And that was super intimidating for me. That was like the first festival I started going to repeatedly. Right. And it's just and, like such an important place and festival. And it was like the first time I was really having some pretty serious stage fright in a while. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to stand like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like I played, I was pretty happy with how I played thinking and just felt loose and out of my head and just able to listen and create. It did. Yeah. You, you didn't dwell too much on who all is out there or who all is backstage hearing what you're doing right now. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, could be really intimidating. It sure can. And just remembering <laughs> that, like, music is fun. Like, that's, I think, why most of us probably all got into this. 
right? It's because it's fun. <laughs> yeah, and and people want you to succeed. Yeah, they're they're cheering for totally. you. They're not cheering against you. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Anything that we should talk about with your claw hammer playing? I at least want to like op- open up that. Yeah. window for, for people to hear about because I know you're a, an excellent claw hammer player and I'm sorry that I don't have like more sophisticated claw That's hammer okay. questions to, <laughs> to ask you but um, you know same is your approach the same to that in terms of writing are you like starting from an improvisational standpoint? Yeah usually it's kind of just improvising and picking out stuff that stands out my approach to claw hammer I, I feel like I write songs that I sing a lot better on Clawhammer. It just feels more natural to accompany that. And sometimes people are like, how do you choose like when you want to play three finger or when you want to play Clawhammer? Uh-huh. And like outside of genre, because like if it's an old time thing, I should probably play Clawhammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or shouldn't probably, but like that is what's going to feel natural. Uh-huh. But outside of that, I feel like Clawhammer. I really like playing Clawhammer when there's no guitar because it's much strummier. Oh, yeah. And kind of sense. more rhythmic. Not necessarily more rhythmic. They're both so rhythm-based. But if I feel like it covers more of what the guitar would be doing. Yeah. That constant offbeat strum. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, or just in smaller ensembles, like duos or trios, I really like having Clawhammer because I feel like it has more of a covers more of this mid-range whereas three finger is kind of more textury and subdividey and you can comfortably go a lot higher yeah it's like all attack and not much uh of that strum yeah territory i guess yeah i think hammer also has informed a lot of my like feelings about syncopation in three finger and Hmm. um kind of striving for that offbeat sound or like covering, because if just playing the basic claw hammer, right. there's a lot of emphasis on the upbeat. And sometimes that's hard to imitate with three finger when we're breaking everything up in mm-hmm. twos and threes. So I feel like I find myself doing a lot of pinching, especially in the little smokies, because there's sometimes there's no mandolin, and sometimes right. Jake and Andy aren't chopping. And okay. so I try to do a lot of upbeat-oriented stuff. Especially they go very fast, so. <laughs> and that's sort of your way of, like, splitting the difference of maybe a situation where you would want to hear more of a claw hammery thing, but you're not going to just completely switch playing styles in the middle of a song or something. But, yeah, totally. Uh, your way of emulating that a little bit yeah and i find like i try to do a lot of roles where the upbeat is emphasized or like that's kind of the note i'm leaning on um so like um in the smokies at that speed they go sometimes some of the only roles i can pull off are just a forward uh-huh. but like kind of really leaning on whichever note of the role lands on the upbeat. Okay. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And like, yeah, your your solo album, which is a lot of I don't know, it's like mostly songs, but a few tunes as yeah. well. Is that all Clawhammer? That's all Clawhammer. I did three finger for um Train on the Island, which is a traditional Okay. Yeah. 
Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that goes to what you said about that being what you prefer for your for your songs and whatnot. Yeah. I guess anything else before we move on about like playing with those like jam grass style bands. I love hearing about how people improvise and, and approach uh, yeah. extended solos and every, and everything like that. That's always like really fascinating to me. So yeah, I think I'm um, kind of picking a theme or two to come back to, mm. um, especially with banjo. There's so many different ways to play any one sound. Uh-huh. Which is, I really like just how differently, like, every banjo player will play the same fiddle tune melody yeah. <laughs> or phrasing yeah. on, like, a kick to, like, you, you are my flower, like, something like that. Yeah. And Incredible. So picking just a super simple phrase, like, it could be something from the melody and just kind of coming back to, like, how can I different, how can I phrase this or what do I like about this or how can I play it differently? Like, just if we're going up three notes as a super simple example mm-hmm. like we can do it all on one string across different strings on a different set of strings sliding into it and they all have such a different sound and we can do different rolls um, and yeah. yeah I feel like Having something that's pretty easy to latch on to and just kind of toying with the different things you can do with it is how I approach kind of the longer, jammier stuff. Okay. You, yeah. It almost gives you like a built-in idea source yeah. that, that, you can, that you can work from. And it's also something if you do improvise and you will eventually end up playing yourself into a corner. Like, <laughs> oh. Okay, now I'm here. I'm in this position. What do I do? Like having something you can kind of come back to. <laughs> and also not being afraid to stop. I feel like it's been one thing that took me a while to get used to as banjo players, especially in three finger. We're so used to just like the most important thing is to like keep the drive and yeah, the roll going. Keep that train on the track. Yeah. But especially if your band is really good and supportive, like you should be able to just like stop and recompose. Like I, I've spent so much time like trying to be able to like switch between different roles uh-huh. without having any like hiccups or pauses, which I think is a, a really good skill and something that is helpful for all of us. But also, it's totally fine to like just play some phrasing. Or I get stuck in this position. We were talking a lot about <laughs> like I'm just going on, but it's fine to stop and then come into a new idea like I think it's nice it adds a breath but it's I think it's tricky for banjo players it was tricky for me it feels so wrong it I, does I, I know what you mean and that's like that's advice that I personally need to hear <laughs> yeah because it feels very wrong to, to stop that stream of 16th notes or whatever we're yeah. doing and listening back usually when that happens like sometimes I'll be listening back to a solo and be like, oh, I didn't feel great about this one. Like, I know that I kind of stopped and mm-hmm. restarted. And I'll listen back and I'm usually like, oh, that was rad. <laughs> actually, actually better. <laughs> yeah, it was nice That's to like cool. not just have a flurry of notes for a little while. <laughs> um, another thing I noticed with your playing was uh, now that I've talked about playing, I don't know, vertically, I guess I'll call it with like the, you know, 
the note shapes and just using your right hand to pick out the notes. Mm-hmm. You do a lot of horizontal motion too, like yeah. like quick spans of high and low. What totally. uh, what's that all about? That's kind of another nugget I got from Jamie Stone. Ooh, because he he's he's an incredible improviser, and he kind of got me started on the the bit about like just take your favorite part of the fiddle tune and see where else you can play it. Like, um, one thing he would do was he, we would pick a fiddle tune and then we would just try to play it on one string. Mm. Um, so like Angeline, the Baker, really easy to play on some open strings, but if you think about it and play it on one string, it's easier to notice that it's up. So you go up three and you skip a note in the scale. And then, so we got three bits of up, and then we go down, and then up here, and then, I don't know, playing everything on one string, even if you're just doing it really slowly, it really illustrates the shape of the melody. Right. Especially with melodic stuff, it can get so tricky, like just seeing <laughs> the shape of the melody. Um, and so for doing movements like that, once we know that we have this shape, sorry, I'm getting a little inarticulate. Um, now that I have the shape like going up three, mm. um, you can use that in improvising. So going, <laughs> you can take the vertical shape and just repeat it because you're skipping one note and you're going up three notes. And you have all this material to play with now. Okay. And so I do that a lot with vertical movements. Um, and also it, it just helps keep the melody really clear. And you can keep a roll going if you're just kind of focusing on everything being on one string. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know where your melody needs to hit or whatever. Yeah. Cool. And that's one thing I am always attracted to, especially and a little jealous of other instruments is like fiddles and dobros and sometimes mandolins can have just kind of these long overarching melodies. Yes. And I really want to have a way to do that on the banjo. <laughs> and <laughs> that's tricky when we don't have sustain. Yeah. And so I think like keeping something on just one string, it's like kind of like your melody string and then you're rolling on the others is kind of a way to imitate that. Yeah, that is a really cool idea. Yeah. So I, I think you saw... I, I solicit Facebook questions. Oh yeah, because I'm lazy and I'm try to try to get out of doing my job by making other people write all my questions for me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so if you're up for some Facebook questions, yeah. I, I will consult the uh, the interwebs here. I will ignore some of the. the it always <laughs> the just devolves ones. into. Yeah. I, I, I'm lucky if I can get a few like actual questions before I, I have been someone guilty just, of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone has. It's fine. It's fine. So this is something I, I wasn't aware of. Uh, someone's asking about doing Natchez Trace and Buffalo Nickel as part of like lockdown videos, oh, and I yeah. must I must have missed these. I'm I'm familiar with those. They yeah. reflect pieces, but um, mm -hmm. I must have missed. Your videos on those, so uh, yeah, ex explain what you did with those and uh, yeah, yeah, what that was all about. Um, so Eric Wiggs is really incredible guitar player and studio engineer, 
and producer in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And he was in Masontown. And he put together this project that we never really did anything with at first, um, where we were going to play all of Drive by Bela Fleck, like just oh, wow. top to bottom. And we had a couple of rehearsals that were awesome and uh-huh. really challenged me. Cause it, like, I thought that was young Bela, and he was trying to show off, I yeah. feel like. So he was writing some pretty tough tunes. Yeah. Um, a lot of goofy tunings. And yeah. Yeah, it's all over the place. And so I really stretched out learning that. And then we didn't really end up doing anything after those first couple of rehearsals until mm-hmm. the pandemic happened. And then we figured out, or we were kind of just chatting, and we were like, it would be cool to like get a video of some of this. And we figured out a way how to put it together. We kind of sent the track around one by one, which uh-huh. was really tricky. I think we all got a rhythm guitar track first, and then we all added our own bits. Usually I was next because the banjo is pretty... Kind of leads the tunes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty banjo-heavy album. And we would kind of do one at a time, and then if like something wasn't quite jiving rhythmically, like we'd re-record. Yeah. Like, let's say I would do the banjo melody, and then I'd send it to Dylan McCarthy to do the mandolin chop. And I would just be like, oh, that's not really (laughs) how I want the feel to be. So I would go back and re-record. Wow. But it was really, really fun. still up on, yeah, on, YouTube up on YouTube for people to find. The project oh, that's really is cool. called AWD, like all-wheel drive. All right. <laughs> it's like the drive album. And yeah. we almost all had Subarus in the band. <laughs> and we're jo- giant dorks, so. <laughs> so, you, yeah, you got to date the band that. Yeah. So how much of it did you get through? Um, so we just did those two for videos, but we did end up doing all of Drive. We did a couple of shows. Is that band? Whoa, cool! In like 2021 and 2022, which has been one of the toughest projects I've done. Like we did that, and then we did a couple from the Bluegrass Sessions. And we did Vertigo from the new album, uh-huh. which was really a stretch for me. Especially, I think one thing that my strange banjo upbringing <laughs> has um, one way it manifests in my playing is that. I played a lot of music where there wasn't a banjo already. Mm. So a lot of my melody playing is like kind of an approximation or like some of the melody with some roles. And so I never really got very good at like learning an exact role or like learning something note for note the way another banjo player did it. And I still, especially some of those tunes I don't play the way Bela does. I kind of get the gist of the melody and do some different roles. Some of that is because he plays something different every time I see him. Like, he never plays a tune the same way twice. Mm-hmm. And also some of it is simply just ability stuff. Like, I can't do what he does Yeah. sometimes. Um, and other parts, I can't stretch the way he does. Like, when I was learning 
um, not sanctuary, Sea Rock City. Is that the? Yeah, that's the one where it like really yeah, goes got up this, like, a lot. Yeah. I do that one a little bit differently because I watched so many YouTube videos and I was like, I can't make my <laughs> hand make that shape. So I, I spent a lot of time like re-figuring out how to finger stuff mm-hmm. from his stuff to make it like possible for my hands. Wow. <laughs> did, did that give you any uh, specific insight into Bela's playing that you maybe wouldn't have appreciated or even noticed otherwise yeah totally he does a ton of similar things with like rhythmic or melodic modulation just Mm. like having a a fairly simple theme and tweaking it yeah and also he's really not afraid to get pretty wacky on the forms and i think that's because he's kind of just following like the melody like we did buffalo nickel yeah that one is whack yeah we we had a chart for it but like it, you would need like two music stands because it's like A, A prime, B, A, yeah. C, A prime, D. Like <laughs> the form is just all over the place. Well, not only the form, but even within each form, there's measures of three yeah. and then measures of two. And like it, it totally. I like I can't, I can't imagine being. I mean, we know who his studio musicians were for that album, <laughs> yeah. So they can handle it, but I couldn't imagine going into a session and being like, "You, what are we doing?" Yeah. <laughs> and I think, kind of talking about like the chasing your ears, like I feel like he's just kind of following a melody because it when That's you listen to too. it, it flows yeah. so nicely, right? Like I would never have thought Buffalo Nickel was that wacky of a tune. Yeah. I had no idea until I actually dug in. Because it sounds so natural. Yeah. And I think I would like to think that he's probably just following his ears. Yeah. It's like just humming along, be like, oh, this is nice. I'm going to figure out a way to make this a tune. Yeah. I I think that's that's the only like normal person explanation. (laughs) Maybe maybe he has something else to it. Yeah. Um, And then I'm really glad I I asked for Facebook questions because I would have known nothing about this. People are saying to ask you about your uh, India travels. Oh yeah. So yeah, I, I don't. I don't even know what to ask you other than you went to India yeah. and played music there. Yeah. As well? So this okay. year has been pretty wild for me travel wise. I don't. I had not left the country until this year. Ever. And ever. Oh wow. Yeah, and I, I have always been into world music from college, mm-hmm. um, but like I'd never gotten really a chance to leave the country. I think maybe I was in rural Canada once as a child. Okay. Um, But I think I snuck in on a houseboat because my mom didn't think kids needed passports. Ooh. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So we're not going to count that one. But yeah, so I went to India with the... Border Patrol is going to be knocking the doors down (laughs) any minute uh now. Yeah. (laughs) I think the statute of limitations has passed on that one. Let's hope so. I think I was like six. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, <laughs> but I went to India with this project called the Bluegrass Journeyman, hmm. which is put together by Pat Fitzsimmons in Denver, Colorado. And they're great. There's definitely going to be some cool stuff. A lot of different people have played with that band, and there's a lot of recordings that will be out in the world shortly. They're not there oh, wow. yet. There's definitely some stuff online. But the year that I went, I was very lucky. The lineup was incredible. It had Casey Dreesen and Coleman Smith and Charlie Mertens from Colorado. They're in Rapid Grass. Okay. Um, my old pal Summers Baker from Meta Mountain, great okay. guitar player and singer. 
Billy Cardine, who is, he's on all of them, and he's just an absolute monster on the Dobro. Yeah. And just such a musician's musician, like, just so musical. You could put him on, like, a two-string shovel, and he would <laughs> groove. Sound great. And, yeah. Yeah. And let's see, who else was there? Nabanita Sakar from India is a really great singer and ukulele player. Um, Andrew Conley was on cello. Yeah, so we went to India and we collaborated with some musicians there and learned some of their tunes. And then we all brought our own tunes as well to record. Yeah. And is that the premise? Is that it's a recording project, but it's like this cross-cultural yeah. collaboration? Okay. The first couple of recordings are like much more bluegrass heavy because there's a surprising there's definitely a scene there for bluegrass there's like a band <laughs> called Grassy Strings I know there's others but there's cool. some pretty heavy pickers there All right, which is really exciting to see maybe I'll pick up some listeners over there yeah cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that was really incredible um, especially though the way that they approach melodies and rhythm is so different from what I'm used to in my education. Yeah. Uh, do you have a way of like expressing what you learned about it or any anything that you've taken with you that you, you still maybe think about? Yeah. I think about like having other time signatures. Like it doesn't have to be a polyrhythm or like something super rhythmically dissonant. Like just grouping stuff in fives is a super simple way to like incorporate some of that. Wait. It's like a five against four kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, okay. you could just repeat that. And it's going to line up eventually. And <laughs> yeah. it seems like when you're improvising in that style, they're just sort of, I don't I think a lot of the musicians there like know the right amount of times to play five. But if you want to take it home and simplify it, you can just play a group of five until it lands. <laughs> until <out>. it lands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, if you want to dig in, like, things are usually in bars of, like, four. And so right. eventually, so after, with five, after 20 beats. Yeah, you yeah. land on a 20 or a 30, or, like, so eventually you'll get to one that sounds good. <laughs> uh-huh. That's incredible. Um Let's talk about your gear. Uh, why yeah. don't you start with the banjo? Take us through what you're what you're playing. Is this your primary instrument, at least for bluegrass? Yeah, this is my primary instrument for now. I have at home. I have an old Stuart Mac kit banjo from the '70s or '80s. My uncle put together. Mm-hmm. It's kind of my main at home banjo. Um, it sounds way better than it has any right to being a kit <laughs> banjo, and that's kind of my main like recording banjo right now. I call this one the Tour Blaster because it's got a wooden tone ring, which is good for my back and flying with the Colton all the time. It helps you with those uh, confident power poses yeah. of being able to stand <laughs> totally. up straight. It's not yeah. as much weight tugging, <laughs> tugging down on you. And it's a, a Hopkins, which I didn't know much about. I found it in a shop, and it was pretty roughed up. Like, everything on it was about as tight as someone could make it. Oh, wow. Um, and so I took it home, and I was like, well, the neck is straight, so I'll just take everything apart, dust it off, and put it back together. Uh-huh. And I just love the way it sounds. It's got kind of a darker tone. It's got a really thin neck, so it's not radius, but it plays really easy because mm. the neck is so thin. And 
I'm I'm really kind of getting into the wooden tone ring sound. Yeah. Don't tell the bluegrass police. Um, <laughs> but I like the darkness of the tone. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it sounds beautiful. It has beautiful tone. Um any anything else that you have a strong preference for in terms of picks or bridges or or other mm. uh you know yeah. nuts and bolts on here? I think I've got a Purcell bridge on every one of my banjos at the moment. I'm pretty hooked on those. Yeah, they're one of my favorites too. Yeah. That's cool. Um I use the Altex thumb pick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't laugh. Yeah. I like blue chips. I am not a responsible enough person to own blue chips, <laughs> I have found. Um, so Altexes are definitely the way for me to go. Yeah. And then I use the Sammy Sheeler finger picks. Now, I happened to know, maybe maybe some thought went into this, maybe not, but I I did notice that you seem to wear your picks much further out on the tips of your fingers than most people that I see. Yeah. Uh, is Is that something that just happened naturally, or is there a reason for that? I think that's also partially a product of me kind of learning, like mostly from my uncle or on my own for a long time. Mm. Um, it's just kind of what I got used to. I feel like when I put my picks closer, I'll get them caught somehow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like on a string. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot of reason for it. It's just how it happened. Yeah. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, obviously, with the bands that you play with now, it's it's almost closer to a, a rock show than it is a, a bluegrass concert. So, there's t- take us through your other gear, the the pickups. I know you had like a yeah. small paddle board as well. What what else are you using for performing? Um, so I've got a Shatton pickup on the inside of the banjo, mm-hmm. um, and I have it so it's not touching the bridge underneath the head. It's like a little bit displaced from where they say you should put it. Yeah, just in front of it there. Yeah, and I think that has made the tone a lot like less thumpy than a lot of pickups can be. Mm-hmm. And then I also have a condenser mic, and I have the the Grace Felix from Lions Colorado. Yeah. Um, and we have a front of house person, and I really like that. I just send our front of house person the mic signal and the pickup signal separately. And then okay. he chooses he what it. he's going to do. All right. So, like, if it's a really loud room, he probably is just going to only use the pickup. Because mm-hmm. you can hear, it's amazing how much you can hear. I can hear people in the audience talking through my mic on the banjo. Like, oh, they, I bet. They're so sensitive. Yeah. Um, and we have in-ears that we run um, ourselves. And so we can kind of pick which blend we want to of mic or... Pick Even up. if it's not the same as what your yeah. front of house is using. Which is super, That's cool. super handy. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're, for when you need to spy on audience people and, <laughs> and listen to their conversations and what they're saying about you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm toying with pedals now. Um, I have kind of gone with just a reverb pedal and mm-hmm. an octave. Like I have a, a Nanopog, which is a something octave generator. That I'll use. Um, yeah, I'm still Poly- polyphonic octave Poly- generator oh, is what <laughs> is what the POG stands yeah, for. Yeah, nice. I worked at a music store, so oh, sweet. That, that's my yeah useless knowledge that I picked <laughs> up from there. Yeah. Um, so I've been using those two and kind of experimenting or daydreaming about some other pedals. Yeah, but only those two for now. No, I'm I'm getting into a bit of this 
myself, so I have to ask, do, do both of your signals run through the pedals or is it just your pickup or how does, uh, how do you handle that? They both run through the, the mic and the DI both go through the pedals at the moment. Okay. And um, that doesn't cause too many problems having like your mic go through a, a pog or anything, nothing, not nothing too crazy happens. Yeah. I think okay. if we, I think if we had like monitors on stage, it probably, it would, it would <laughs> I have learned the hard way that those don't always get along. Um, I bet. but for now it works. I kind of wanted to overdrive pedal, but then I'd have to figure out a way to send. I don't think that would work with a, a microphone. It would be risky. Yeah. I don't want to do that sure. to our sound guy. He's no, too nice. Not yet. He, he hasn't wronged me yet. He does a great job. I, I will. Nice. I will say that. Yeah. Um, is there anything else I forgot to ask you? I mean, open floor for if there's anything else you want to share about, like your own playing or composing or yeah. or anything else. One thing I meant to talk about that I forgot to talk about. Yeah, please. <laughs> was like um, playing in the Smokies and playing with drums with Railroad Earth and the project I was doing before. The Smokies was Barbaro, a really great band from right. Minneapolis. Yeah, um, I love those those people. Um, was playing a lot of more pop influenced music. Hmm. Um, has really reminded me, and also playing some world music, has reminded me that the banjo is essentially a drum. Like <laughs> it's a percussion instrument. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the like rolls, pun intended, but like the. The role that it plays, the ROLEs, the yeah, the <laughs> ROLEs, is as a percussion instrument, and especially the banjo player Matt Cornetti, who is like first doing the stuff with the Smokies. He's so talented at like just picking a role and a chord that's pretty simple, but the chord he's picking works over all these changes or like works over all the chord changes without changing much of a shape. Oh, wow. Kind of like a, a drum. Like, you, uh, you wouldn't want the drum, like, moving through the whole kit like, yeah. over, like, every chord change. <laughs> and listening back and learning their tunes, I'm just kind of, like, blown away by, like, some of his choices and how simple they are, but just how well they groove. Like, Sometimes it's yeah. Just give us best. A give us a taste of this. Uh, um, just like even playing this like G power chord. Yeah, that's just G D G. You can yeah. do it open strings, or you can do it close. And just kind of rolling on that through everything that it works. Mm -hmm. You can get a C pretty easily nearby. Okay. Or you can go to a D power chord pretty easily, but just kind of like keeping it super simple. Yeah. Like I'm just kind of pushing the offbeat. Um, and just kind of trying to be percussive and not and let everything else do their job. Like their job is to like do the harmonic movement and yeah, I would have to imagine that that's especially important maybe in a band like the Smokies that has, I won't call it cluttered because you guys do such a good job of arranging, but there's a lot of action happening between like that dobro and the guitar range and, yeah. and you got fiddle up here and totally. Um, yeah, you're not necessarily needed for a lot of the like real strict harmonic stuff. Yeah. 
where yeah maybe totally. maybe that's the thing for a banjo to do for that situation yeah that's really cool playing with railroad it was a seven piece band like there were keys wow. guitar bass drums and drums fiddle yeah. wow and <laughs> so I, a lot of time the just the less i was doing uh-huh sounded better like whenever i would listen back i try to listen back to my own playing often or sometimes like when i improvise i'll just record it or i'll try to get my hands on recording of sets yeah and just listen back and usually the things that i am like wow that sounds great is usually when i'm just like doing something simple and Hmm. trying to groove yeah that's amazing and railroad earth like they don't even necessarily always have a banjo player do they uh well so they have a guy who doubles or something yeah in that band i would play some acoustic guitar some electric guitar or a little bit of lap steel um no one should call me for lap steel gigs i (laughs) know just enough to make some fun textures (laughs) yeah and that's about it some spacey stuff (laughs) yeah yeah cool but i did end up playing banjo on more tunes just because it's my my home instrument Mm. than like Mike Robinson or um, Andy their previous banjo player were just because that's where I like but I and I also have a fondness for playing banjo on songs that wouldn't normally oh yeah banjo the more the better (laughs) yeah (laughs) as far as I'm concerned yeah do you have your own website that you want to share with people so that they can make sure to find your music and, and where you are yeah so I have samazmusic.com I have an album my album there that's more songwritery yeah more about my feelings and wacky claw hammer <laughs> and odd time signatures yeah um and then I'm with the Smokies for this big tour we're doing yeah that goes until November and then we have a lot of really cool stuff coming up next year and an album um that we recorded it's already recorded in April yeah oh wonderful um I'm super happy with it and you recorded it in April or it's going to be out in April? We recorded it in April. Okay. It'll be out sometime. It's not set. Yet. All right. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. That was also a good experience. <laughs> like kind of stepping away from like just rolling all the time. What in the studio you mean? Yeah. The producer, um, Robert Ellis is an incredible songwriter. Oh, the, uh, the Texas yeah. troubadour guy. Oh, I've seen. Yeah, he's wonderful. He's incredible. He produced the Lil Smokies record? He did. What an interesting choice. Yeah. I think it made a lot of really cool things happen. Oh, neat. But there'd be a lot of times where he'd just be like, uh, I don't think you should be rolling here. And I was like, well, okay. That's usually, that's like what I'm used to. Like, I feel like. What else would I do? Yeah. (laughs) So there's a, a lot of really cool things that happened. Sometimes we'd come back and be like, okay, yeah, the roll was good. But. Yeah, a lot of times sometimes come not. up with a, a more interesting, more like simple, just like an auxiliary percussion part, basically. Wow. Yeah. That that's curious. I'll look forward to to hearing that. Yeah. Well, it was great hearing you last night. Uh, appreciate you making the time to to talk with me here, man. Yeah. It's been, been fun talking to you. You too. Thanks for having me. All right. You bet. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. The song clips you heard were Come As I Am by Meadow Mountain, Chance Meeting by Edgar Meyer, Bela Fleck, and Mike Marshall, Ginny Pup by Sam Armstrong Zikafus, The City by The Little Smokies, and Natchez Trace by All Wheel Drive. Thank you once again to the VIP supporter of the show. That's Paul Lays. 
head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become a supporter yourself so you can join us for that VIP lounge video meetup coming up Tuesday, January 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Get your picky fingers merch, banjopodcast.com. And I think that's all you need to know for now. Stay tuned and I will see you next time.